Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Thank you, everyone, so much for jumping on today's podcast. Um, I have a special guest with me. And to tell you, before I introduce him, I want to tell you about his wife. Um, I was able to serve as the Ward Relief Society president. And during that time, I became um, close. I'd already been close to her, but I became even more close to Marsha Lyman. Um, She was one of the sisters in our ward that served, loved, and she always gave us comic relief (laughs) in Relief Society and in Sunday school. And she was just so precious. And there's a very um, special experience that happened with Marsha for me to coming to my house one night on a rainy night. She brought me a loaf of bread and she gave me a beautiful card of the Salt Lake City Temple. And she wrote inside of it some really precious things. And for, she didn't know at the time I was struggling. And um, it was just a complete answer to prayer. And it was kind of a sign to me that God was very aware. And Marsha was just being Marsha, driving her, their Toyota Tundra truck, white truck over to the house to share her love. So I reached out to her husband, Gary, who's in my ward. And I asked Gary if he would please come on my podcast and just share with us. Um, Marsha died on April 1st. So six months ago today, today we're recording on October 1st and she died and Marsha had dementia. And, um, it was very, when we got the news, I was really heartbroken, but I also knew that she was going through a lot. And so Gary has graciously agreed to come on. So Gary, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) Good. I'm glad you're here, especially on this special day, because it is six months to the day that Marsha did leave this earth. So I think we should start off. I think everyone would love to know just a little bit, a history about you and Marsha before we begin to talk about the last several years that you had with Marsha. So where did you guys grow up? Where did you meet a little bit about your family and just share with everyone a brief history about you guys? Okay. Yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, it's, it's kind of a fun story, actually, Beth. I grew up in a in a city called Bountiful, Utah. I was always kind of proud of the fact that it was Bountiful because it was just such a happy name. And I had a really a wonderful childhood. Um, my dad was my baseball coach for eight years. And the reason why he became my baseball coach is because I got hit in the face with a ball and uh, I got cut that year. And the next year, my dad miraculously became my baseball coach and was my baseball coach for the next eight or nine years. And I had a lot of wonderful times playing baseball. So Bountiful was, was a, was a fun place for me to grow up. I was, uh, a cheerleader in high school and I don't know, kind of the, the class clown and, and had some good times. Marcia grew up in uh, Olympus high school, which was a rival high school for us. And I didn't know her until I came home off my mission. Um, I went to California. I I've told people I went to Disneyland on my mission and I really did. I had a, <laughs> Anaheim? Had one, what part of me? Anaheim. Anaheim. I, I actually went to the California South Mission, and one of my areas actually surrounded Disneyland, which was in my ward and district, and I had another one that went around Knott's Berry Farm, and so um, on occasions, I've told people that I went to Disneyland on my mission, and all of my grandkids, I tell them the same thing, and they all laugh, <clears throat> but uh, th- that's where I went. I, I went on my mission just after I had come home from the Army. And the last place I told my bishop that I would be willing to go on a mission was California because I had such a horrible experience in Fort Ord in California. I didn't see the sun for five months. And my my mind, my heart, everything said, no, I won't go on a mission. But my mouth said yes. And then I caught myself saying, well, if I, if I do go, I won't go to California. And that's where I went was California. So be very careful when you when you say something like that. 
but uh, I went on my mission and came home and uh, I had a, a, a nice man that was in our ward. He later became one of the 70s. His name was Bob Harbertson. And um, he asked me if I'd come to work for him. And uh, I said, well, I'd, I'd be glad to. I, I, I want to ski for a little bit when I came back home. And I did for 20, 20 days out of the 30 days I was home off my mission with my dad and skied. And, and then I decided, well, okay, let's give this a try and went to work for him. And the day before I went to work, he says, okay, I want you to understand something. I've got two secretaries that work for me, and uh, one of them is divorced, and one of them is um, available. Uh, and when I walked in the door, um, I thought that Marsha was the divorcee, So, <laughs> but, which is kind of crazy. But uh, I went to work at the place that uh, she was working at, and I wasn't doing anything fantastic. I was a a nut and bolt fabricator and helped with the inventory. And uh, so it wasn't a glorious job, but it was a, it was a job where I got the opportunity to be able to, to meet her. And she uh, would come through the warehouse on occasions and she would go to lunch with somebody different every day. And uh, I noticed that there was one guy in particular that she was going to lunch with, which was the guy in the green cougar. And, uh, she had come and pat me on the chest and she says, it's time for you to start dating. You've been home off your mission now for a month or two. And then, then it was three. And I'd tell her, well, I wanted to be somebody special. And when I go on my first date, I'm just doing a lot of skiing right now. And thank you very much. But uh, I, I found that she kind of won my heart. And after about three months of working there, I told her that I'd found somebody that I'd like to take on a date for my uh, my first time. And she patted me on the chest again and said, well, that's really nice, Gary. I'm really happy for you. And I, I announced that it was her. And I said, uh, I'd like you to be my first date because I, I think you're special. And so <laughs> things begin to, to kind of happen at that point. We went on a first date and, and, um, I actually did something really kind of crazy. I went out and picked some of these milkweed flowers, you know, that we call them wishing flowers. When you blow them, all the seeds fly away. And uh, I put them in a, in a box and uh, I bought the box for a dollar, I think at some flower shop and picked some hitchhiker up off the road and, and took, and I said, would you do me a favor? And, and uh, I'll take you anywhere you want to go. If you'll just take this box into this, girl that's working in this place and and uh he did and i said how did it go and he says oh it went really great and uh i i gave her the wishing flowers and wished her the best and stuff like that that was just kind of in the in the beginning and when he came out and got in the car i said well where am i taking he says park city and i thought oh my goodness okay that really worked out good for me i it was a three-hour trip for me to take him to where he needed to go but that was kind of the beginning. Um, that's how I, I got introduced to her. I was actually introduced uh, through Bob Harbertson, who was the, the guy that owned a company called Aerofast. And that, that was my, my beginning with Marsha. And what year was that? was that? Let's see. That would have been just after my mission. I got home in 73. And it would have been, I met her probably in April of 73, probably right around April 1st, to be honest with you. And uh, that was in 1973, so it was 50 years ago. Wow. And when did you guys get married? How long did it take you to date before you got married? We got married the following February of 74 on the 28th of February. And so um, that was about a year after I got home off my mission and uh, about seven months of knowing each other and being engaged, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Now you and Marsha had six children, correct? Yes. There's a little bit of a story about that too, because okay, I go ahead. We tell people that Marsha had six kids from her first marriage. And I had six kids from my first marriage. And then after we got married, we had six between us. 
And we've used that story quite a bit because it sounds like we've got 18 kids, but it's really only six because I'm her first marriage and she's my first marriage. So, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you guys. Okay. So tell how many girls, how many boys you guys have. Okay. All of them are boys except for five of them. (laughs) So we had uh, five girls and then one boy in that order. People kept telling us, are you going till you get your boy? And um, we were going until we had six. I would have taken another girl, to be honest with you, but uh, I was glad to get the, get the son on the sixth time. <laughs> what was parenting like with you and Marsha together? Uh, you know, when you, when, you, when you get married, you have your whole life ahead of you. And you make things up as you go. I, I didn't have a career. I didn't have a job. I mean, really. I mean, I was a nut and bolt manufacturer. But uh, then I went to work for Amco Transmissions, which was a huge increase as far as pay for me. But uh, um, you know, when you when you're first starting out, you 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 make everything up. You don't have a place to live. You're doing really weird things you don't have no have any really idea how many kids you're going to have what job you're going to have um and so you make everything up as you go but uh it was it was it was fun i remember when we had our first child which was lacy brought her home from the the hospital and we she was born a year and a day after we got married and after three days at lds hospital they i remember them bringing the baby down and putting her in the truck there was no car seat there was no seat belts there was it was just really weird and they handed the I, I went got the truck and pulled it up next to the the, the exit at St. Mark's Hospital not I'm sorry not St. Mark's LDS Hospital in Salt Lake and got Marsh up in the truck of course they brought her down in a wheelchair and then handed her the baby and and I went around and got in the truck and I looked over too and I go what in the heck are those people thinking? They're sending this baby home with us. We haven't got a clue how to do this. And so when, you know, when you're starting out, you start out with lots of dreams and aspirations for everything. And I was just wondering, <laughs> they have no right sending this baby home with us. We haven't got a clue. But uh, I think I think that's how we all feel, Gary. I think we all think after our first, like, why are you sending this child home with me? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm glad to know that we weren't alone, but uh, I sure felt alone because that was the the way we started out. Yeah. And they, they you know, kids kept coming at, at that point. Um, uh, we, we started out with, you know, really nothing. I remember when we came back off of our honeymoon, we had 14 cents left in our checking account and $2.50 worth of McDonald's coupons. So we were set for life. We had... We had a great start and uh, and an apartment that we started, you know, we rented for $95 a month, which was two bedrooms by then, you know, at that point. But uh, parenting was, was, was a lot of fun for me. I was, I'm kind of a kid at heart and um, I'll I'll get emotional about this part, but um, it was a great experience being a dad really a great experience i uh kind of got myself to a level to where they were in life you know they were kids and i was a kid at heart i learned that from my dad too because my dad was a, a kid at heart so i'm sorry i'm emotional but that's okay too right <laughs> totally absolutely okay but um my whole world was revolved around um, the kids for a long period of time. I feel like it still is. But uh, I started a career as a, as a plumbing contractor and it made it harder and harder when you're first starting out in a, in a new business to find realistically time to, to go on vacations. And I had a career that I missed birthdays and Thanksgiving day, sometimes dance reviews and Christmas programs. 
you know, being a plumber, you didn't have the opportunity to be able to say to your customer, hey, I'm I'm sorry, your water's not on. Uh, I can come back on Monday and turn it back on. And sometimes I would work for 24 hours a day or three days straight, you know, stuff like that. And always had the opportunity to be able to involve my kids. They would go and play in the putty or hand me the dinosaur pliers that I needed. But they were uh, a joy to me. It was, and for both of us, we, we enjoyed our kids. They were a huge highlight for us. Um, I'd say if I was to rate us as parents, I'd say that we probably were probably even a nine or a 10 <laughs> as far as raising the kids because it was it was such a such a joy and, and so happy. Marsha was always um, had the girl's hair fixed on Sunday mornings and she would put him in curlers the night before. And so the kids were always perfect. Just, you know, the girls were just absolutely perfect. They had ringlets and and Marsha prided herself on you know, singing the happy song, you know, Saturday is a special day. It's they would get ready for Sunday. And then she would use Saturday for that day. And in the curl into the head, the curlers would go. And um so Marsha really took a lot of pride in in raising the kids. And um what were some of the things that she liked to do as a mother? Did she did Marsha like to cook and did she like to read? Did she what were some of the things that you looked at in awe of her as a mother. Okay. Well, first of all, let me tell you, Marsha was not a good cook. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was not. <laughs> um, I learned a couple of things. I learned how to make pancakes and baked potatoes while I was on my mission. So I became the, the cook, so to speak, but uh, she had three dishes that was, she was really good at. And we ate those very often, <laughs> but uh, Marsha did like, to read and she happened on early with her bread recipe that she kind of changed it around a little bit and where it called for oil she added oil and applesauce and hit a home run with her bread and and that was kind of her staple for you know 40 plus years really um she was the self-appointed um compassionate service lady and if you had any kind of a need, or if she even knew you, um, she was she was on on her on your way with her bread, uh, and sometimes a book or or something that was um, nice. And she was just compassionate to everybody. And if you didn't know Marcia, that would be the only reason you didn't get some of her bread, uh, or if you just. <laughs> knew her late in life, you know, before she passed away. It's just because she didn't know you soon enough to be able to do that. But that was Marcia. She was she was a very compassionate, compassionate lady. And she was that way in our marriage too. Um what else did Marcia like? Um when we had the opportunity to be able to go on vacations and stuff like that, she was always getting rid of, I mean, a real highlight for us was to get a motor home one time. It had bunk beds in it. And oh my gosh, that was just, uh, it was just the living life to the fullest for us. And we'd go to Disneyland or to Yellowstone or Fish Lake. We went to Fish Lake quite a few times with family reunions and uh, Marcia never did go fishing. She was always the, the, the camp host still doing compassionate service wherever, wherever he went. And she was always making friends with everybody. Everybody would, would, would meet. She was out the door and talking to, and I'd, I'd ask her who her friend was. And she's, I don't know, I didn't know her name, but I knew everything about her. So <laughs> yeah. she was a great conversationalist. I love she that. Really, about her. Yeah, she was, she was a, a great conversation, conversationalist. <laughs> Okay. So Gary, I want to, you know, the kids grow up, they move out. When did you start noticing, um, 
a change in Marsha? When did you start seeing that something was changing within her health? Marsha had a, a health problem at 43. Um, she had um, a, a heart attack. Uh, at least that's what they said that she had had was a heart attack. The, the thing was when they did, you know, all this, the, the tests and things like that. I mean, they, they found out that her arteries were like chrome on the inside. And, and um, so it was really not really known what the, the, the situation was there. I mean, there was no real reason for it, except that, you know, maybe I caused it. I don't know. I'm, you know, maybe with all the anxiety that, that I created by working late and coming home, you know, at weird times and missing dance reviews and stuff like that. Um, don't remember having very many disagreements or arguments or anything like that. We had, we had differences of opinion, but uh, there was really no reason I, that I could figure for her to have had these health problems. Marsha was adopted. And so we had no real health um, history. It was a closed thing when she was adopted and she didn't really uh, have any history. So we don't really know what the, the whole situation was with, with her mom and her parents and, you know, the people that were involved. And so things were kind of a surprise, but that was the first thing we noticed. And then um, fast forward to about eight years ago, um, right in the living room, Marsha had a, a, a seizure. Um, I called 911 and she had quit breathing. And I'm not sure that her heart had stopped at that time, but it almost felt like that she did because she she kind of passed out and was, was in my opinion, gone for a little bit. When the, when the paramedics got here to the house, her blood pressure was... 280 over something i don't remember what it was and i think that that's was the the, the real point of, of of when things began to change for marcia she um did they think had, that she had a stroke gary did she they they called it press they didn't they said it was kind of a, a stroke she didn't have all the symptoms or the paralysis that that a stroke would be would would have but I, I think that there was some cognitive damages that appeared at that point, um, or at least started. I remember she had uh, an MRI after that and, you know, CAT scans and all those types of things. And and through the, the, the course of the next, well, um, up until probably before she passed away, she had four more episodes where she literally passed away, Beth. Uh, one of them was in Indiana with, with a granddaughter, with a daughter that went with her, her grandkids in Indiana. And so we spent Christmas week with, uh, with Marcia in the hospital and had four episodes like that, where her heart had stopped and her breathing had stopped. And um, here again, it was interesting because they could never figure out what was, what was the cause of it. Um, and she would recover and, and, and do just fine. But um, but at that point, at seven and a half years ago, was the beginning of a long goodbye. And realistically, I think that the thing we had that was to our disadvantage was that um, it was a little bit of a denial on, on all of our part is that it was happening. And, and of course that's a natural thing for a family to go through and is the denial. Um, and mostly Marsha was in the denial because she did not want that to happen. She wanted to be a mom and a grandma and rightfully so. And um, so she was resisting some of the things that we had noticed, but we what were, were what were some of those things that you noticed, Gary, what were some of the symptoms? Well, uh, early on, um, there began to be a, a bit of a mood change. Um, just, it was, it was like, um, well, after the, probably the two years of the denial, I mean, she started not having the right words 
up, up until that point to and the right thoughts. She, she couldn't get her thoughts put together. And we knew that there was some type of cognitive disorder that was, that was happening with her. Uh, one of the things that was really a, a big turning point, and we knew that what was happening is is a thing called the good guy, bad guy syndrome that, that, that exists. And I, I became the bad guy. Um, she was starting to take medications and was not allowed to drive anymore and those types of things. But it wasn't the doctors that was telling her that. It was and it wasn't the DMV that was telling her that. It was her husband. And so she became very, um, I'm not going to say agitated, but was, you know, very upset with the fact that she could not drive anymore. And she carried that a little bit farther in that sometimes she would drive without permission. Um, some of the medications that she had would make her tired at night and she would still some, I mean, there was, it, it, you know, this was a, an evolving thing, but sometimes I'd come home for work and she wasn't here and I'd see the car that was gone and she was out delivering bread, you know, or meeting with <laughs> sister Proctor or somebody that, you know, that needed some, some assistance. And, and I'd, I'd see trees that were stuck in the license plate. And I knew that she'd been driving sometimes and she'd not say that, but, but when I became the bad guy, um, that was kind of the, the real turning point for us, Beth. That was probably four and a half years, five years ago, maybe. Um, we were kind of expecting some of the things, but when when things start happening with dementia and, and the like, um, I think they kind of catch you by surprise. And when things begin to materialize, especially for the last two years of, of Marsha's life, you begin to doubt some things. You begin to wonder if, you know, some of the things that are happening are happening because of the, the feelings that she's had for 47 years. And so you don't ever find out. And I'm, I'm making light of that, which I don't, don't mean to, but you begin to question some things when, when somebody is, changing as far as personality and, and those types of things. Um, it was, it, it got um, very hard to be able to, uh, you know, to, to, to care for her um, as, as time progressed, especially the last one and a half to two years was, was really a, a hard thing. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this because of, the type of person that she was. And even though I was her caregiver right up to the very end, um, it was the hardest thing I ever did, but it wasn't the care that I gave her. It wasn't, uh, you know, cleaning her up and feeding her and making sure she didn't wrap herself up and blankets and fall down the stairs I mean, I, sometimes I slept at her foot to make sure she wouldn't you know get out of bed and fall down the stairs I didn't want to have that on my on my plate but the hardest thing was just saying goodbye it was uh that was the toughest part because <laughs> it was a uh, with dementia it's a long goodbye it really is you find uh some anticipations and things like that that begin to creep in and, and like I said before you begin to doubt some things because you think did she just really not like me for 47 years which you know is not the case it's just a she had a kick butt disease and dementia is a is a kick butt disease it, it really it really is and anybody that may be listening on this I would not wish you know um, losing your spouse by any means, but, uh, don't take for granted the everyday experiences that you've got because they can be taken, wiped out so fast. And even though you don't want them to, there's still some things that happen that, uh, you don't understand with this stupid disease. 
So can you can you kind of like give some examples of things that made it really hard, even though you were trying to care for her? What can you give just a couple examples of things that were were a struggle to deal with? Yeah, some of these I I tried to keep you know silent about. Um, Marsha, you know, in in especially in the last well over a year and a half, um, got very agitated. I mean, she was she wanted me to get out of the house and and um, wanted you know me to just leave <laughs> leave her alone. <laughs> you know, words that I don't want even to say to you. Um. She was a little bit um, uh, aggressive. I'll I'll just say it that way. She was she was aggressive. Just things that that made it um, difficult, and it's that was really hard to be able to to understand and be able to process. Um, when when you've been around somebody that's been so giving and so wonderful, but. Uh, it was a yeah it was a it was a a, a big uh, big change as far as personality. Um, I even tried hiding a lot of it from my kids and other people too. And uh, she, you know, in in processes she would. One of the things we went through was the the, um, the funeral for my mom. That was been five years ago. So, and the, all the kids showed up at my mom's funeral in Bountiful, which was I'm really grateful for. And it was time for them to say goodbye. They were ready to go get on airplanes and get in their cars and drive away after we'd been there for a couple of days. And, and Marsha wanted to go get everybody gifts. And so she went down to Deseret Book and come back with things and had no comprehension of what she was doing because the kids needed to leave. And, and uh, it was, it was hard for them to see. It was, a, it was a turning point for them too, because I think that they saw some things that um, maybe they weren't aware of in, in the beginning, but as time went on, they, they became more and more aware of. It was just the, the total personality change that the person goes through when they're when they're having this type of cognitive disease and dementia. You know, I that's one thing. When I was younger, I didn't understand that. But as I've gotten older, and I have family members and friends that are experiencing dementia or did experience it before they passed away, it does. It feels like you're with a different person. Um, the things that they do, they can have outbursts. I mean, there's just so many things that that weren't a part of who they are and now it is. So how did you, what were some ways that you were able to cope with those moments? Did you call your kids? I know Mary Trump was a huge help for you with Marsha. Like who did you call upon to kind of help you out? Those exact people that you're talking about, my, my kids were the, were the, were the best support for it because they were close and at hand and and wanted to be part of 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 as much as they could um they they had some disappointments along the way because we were sometimes late showing up to a baseball game or a dance review or a, a concert or something like that and we'd we'd roll in kind of late and it would be because um I had a hard time, you know, being her caregiver, just to be able to get her to places on time. It was, that was really kind of difficult because um, sometimes she did not even want to go. I, 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 I don't know what's going through the mind of a person that has dementia. I, I can only just tell you the, the things that were happening. And, but it was, she did not want to go sometimes um, going to church sometimes was, was, was even hard. It was like, I think that she was aware of some things, Beth, that um, she didn't want to be able to let other people know uh, of what was happening. I mean, people could see it. They they knew. Um, all my kids knew. 
Um, we were we were aware of it. But I think that the the denial was probably with her, and it was really hard to, for her to be able to settle into the fact that that she was going away and wasn't going to be able to do all the things that she wanted to do. So that had to have been hard. The thing that I had going for me is I had a dad that uh, took care of my mom for oh probably 12 years. And uh, he was the caregiver right up to the very end, except for about the last two and a half months. And uh, my dad was my hero at that because I didn't even understand what he was going through and, and the like, but uh, dad would say to us, he'd say, we'd, we'd say, dad, it might be time to put mom into a home. And dad got, to the point where he could lift her if she was to fall or take care of her and stuff like that. Because I mean, my gosh, my dad's going to be 98 next month and mom passed away at 92. So they had lived full lives and it was hard to be able to, to finally have dad admit that it was a safety issue for mom, but he took care of her right up to the very end. And um, he would say things like, well, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to put her into a home? And then um, when I wake up, go down and watch her be awake. I mean, I'd do that anyway. So, I mean, he, dad was kind of stubborn. I'd, and I found out that stubbornness comes from your kids. You don't, you know, it's not, it, it is inherited, but you get it from your kids. And my dad is pretty stubborn that way. And I, I probably took on some of the, the stubbornness too. Um, I was, it, it, like I said, it, I was I was proud and excited and very honored to be able to take take care of Marcia right up to the very end. But um, the help that I got was, uh, you know, my dad is a model. Mary Trump was unbelievable, Beth. Um, she um, allowed. Well, she, she considered Marcia her best friend, and Marcia considered Mary her best friend, and so Mary was kind of insistent that I, you know, drop her off, and she could take her to lunch, and and uh, allowed me to be able to go do the shopping or go to work sometimes. And but Mary noticed some of those things too, and it was hard for her, and it got to a point where we just couldn't have that happen anymore either. But I don't know what I would have done without Mary. Beth, she was just tremendous to me. Yeah, she's so wonderful. I actually interviewed her about um, her husband passing away from cancer. Um, anyway, and I know she had mentioned Marsha in that interview. So Gary, leading up to, did you know that Marsha's final days were approaching or did something happen that shifted really fast? It uh, it really started happening a year and a half before Marcia passed away. Um, there was things that, that started to slip through the cracks. Marcia was always a Christmas gal, um, and it was it was it was hard to be able to to go through you know the Christmas season. To, uh, uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I am sorry. I'm such a basket case. No, it's it's been six months from today. So I understand. I actually feel so bad for you. So it's okay. You can cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've got tears of happiness because I know that I know that Heavenly Father's put his arms around her. And by the same token, he's put his arms around me too, Beth. I, I, I really has. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. But uh, that... That last year was a uh, year and a half was 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 really a, a tough one. Um, it was it was a time of loneliness and um, you start preparing yourself. You know, I, I I read and read and read and read about anticipatory grief and and things like that and um, things that kind of settled in for me was you know. Where's, where's my purpose? You know, I've always been the guy to take care of things. And 
I couldn't couldn't take care of it anymore because it was just impossible. I mean, we just knew that was that was things were happening, and you you can't change your course. I'll I'll tell you one real spiritual moment that I had with her. Um, knowing that this was happening, you're gonna have to bear with me on this one, okay? Because uh, I knew that there was, uh, I had a hard time trying to give her a blessing that would heal her. I I knew what the situation was, and I I was always trying to think: is, is there a way I could use my priesthood to to make this go away? And I really um, didn't get an answer that that was the right thing to do. And I don't know that that was the, the easiest thing for me to do either, because that was kind of tough, you know, to think that uh, that's what I had settled into. But that's where I was at. I I just couldn't bring myself to giving her a blessing that would heal her. And... Um, the 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 night that Marcia passed away, um, that was the opportunity for me to give her a blessing, and uh, that blessing was to release her. And I had I had a an experience um, with her that night. It was uh, I'll go back a little bit because hospice was really wonderful too. They were they were a great help for us. And a great help for me because they came in and bathed her. They took care of her and they gave me the indications of what was happening on a, on a, on a basis. And so they were accurate to the, to the, to the right to the very end. But I had, my kids were here, um, you know, that were able to, to, to be here. And um, they were here at the, at the very end. And uh, it had been, uh, you know, when you when you read through the hospice books, you can kind of see what's happening with months that are left and with weeks that are left and with days that are left and with hours and minutes. And we were seeing all of those things happen. And uh, it got to the point where Marcia was kind of suffering pretty bad at the very end. She was trying to do everything she could do to help her body recover. Uh, it was by breathing and, you know, just trying to draw on her own natural resources to be able to heal her body and to survive. And and that wasn't going very good. And so it kept us awake for quite some time. And my daughter came up with a, with a solution. She says, Dad, we're just going to need to take shifts. And, uh, and so we did. And I said, well, I would like to take the first shift. And I would like to kind of now the thing that was interesting is the hospice had come in that day and and they'd bathed her, they had done her fingernails, they shampooed her hair, they brushed her teeth. I mean, she was she was she was she was nice that day. She was she was all ready for what was gonna happen that night. And so we did the shift thing, and I said, I'll I'll take the first one. And um Nothing had really changed for some time, except it was just exhausting us. And so I took the first two hours, and then about two hours later, my daughter, Mikkel, came in and says, Dad, it's your turn to go to bed. And before I had done that, um, I'd taken a little bit of time. I, I actually crawled up on the bed with her. We had the bed in the in the living room, and I, I gave her a blessing, and I said, you know what, it's time for you to go and she was aware of her her surroundings right up to the very end because as I got off the bed and I was still holding her hand and I went to pull away and she grabbed my hand and held on really tight and uh, I said no that didn't happen so I kind of worked her fingers apart just a little bit went to move away and and she grabbed it again the second time. And I still denied it. I just says, no, that didn't happen. And and I, I did it the third time. And, and Beth, she gave me the, the dementia death grip on the third one because she didn't, I could tell she did not want me to go away. And so Mikkel came in and uh, said, okay, dad, it's your turn. And 
I said, okay, I'm just going to go in. And I, I kind of filled her in for about 10 minutes and this was at midnight. And, uh, so it was now it was my turn to, to go to bed and sleep. And I turned and walked away and went into the kitchen and, and after I'd filled Mikhail in on the details and she says, dad, you need to come back in here. Something's going on. And, uh, when I, when I came back in, um, we could tell that, uh, things were, were being finalized. So we woke everybody up and, um, uh, we're all around the around the bed, and if you've never had the opportunity to be able to to have your hand on somebody's neck or feel them breathe and take their last heartbeat, it's the most uh, spiritual experience you'll ever experience. And it was nice to be able to have my kids around me at that point to be able to to make that happen. But that was kind of the way that, uh, that things uh, ended. And uh, I was so glad that my kids were there for that. I prayed for the experience. Um that we were going through with mom to be something that would have my family be closer together. And it was, and um, I'm grateful for that. Did, was your son there too? Was it just the girls yeah. or was it everybody? Um, Richard and his wife were here, um, which I was grateful for. Um, Allie's a wonderful, she's my only daughter-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh and, and tiffany and mikhail were there and krista was on her way to come she um had to drive and and needed to you know make that happen so she didn't get there quite in time and and tiffany had, had flown in and so she was there merrily was actually at a general conference um which she had said her goodbyes because she had spent a lot of time with her mom. And, and so I know that she's probably had a little bit of grief because she wasn't here, but you know, merely was, was incredible. <laughs> the, all my kids have been incredible. incredible. I mean, they're just, but um, so she was in general conference and had one ticket and saw president Nelson's epic talk on, you know, being a peacemaker. So <laughs> And she'd also use that trip to see my dad, which was which was really good. But yeah, the the, the kids were here, and I we, we I chose for some reason to have Marsha cremated, which is just so weird for me, because I you know I've been kind of raised you know with the typical mm -hmm. you know church funeral and you know the viewing and stuff. I hated viewings, and but everything kind of seemed to come together really wonderful for us and th this this company that we had we did it with such dignity marcia had passed away and within a half an hour we had her dressed in her temple clothes and um she was ready for for burial the lady when there was a lady and a guy that came to pick her up and they did it with such dignity i mean the the blankets had like royalty type of things on there they didn't do anything without permission and, and did it and it was just such a breath of fresh air for us to be able to do it that way because during the funeral we was focused on um instead of writing checks and you know trying to figure out the transportation and the embalming process and getting the vault and the opening and closing marcia was just taken away into to the cremation facility and um in a short period of time got her back and and it would just allowed us to be able to love on each other and do the things that were were really pertinent to my kids did the did, did the funeral and oh my gosh they just did a tremendous job it just it was just unbelievable what my kids did for the funeral and the tribute that they gave to her, their mom 
And uh, so it was a, it was a, it was a tough goodbye at the end, but it was, it was a, it was a special one for us, Beth. It was very, very spiritual. And I, I, I can't deny that Heavenly Father was, was in tune with everything that we, we did. I, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess, you know, with my podcast being Seeking Light, I look at you and Marcia's not here anymore on this earth, but where are you at in your healing and your life? What, like the grief, can you share with people that haven't experienced this? Like, how are you processing each day your grief? What are you doing to try to find that light in your life? so that you don't go down to a dark place? Well, that's a really, a, a, a great question for me. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for the counsel that I have got. You know, there's been some people in the ward that their spouses have passed away. And my sister um, lost a child, you know, several years ago. And the people that have actually gone through the process for me have been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, unbelievable. Um, I have recently met uh, a person in my life that I have have fallen in love with, to be honest with you. Um, wow, Gary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've actually even got a wedding date set up. And that's probably really soon for, I know. <laughs> okay, we need to hear this. Well, um, this person that uh, that I'm engaged to um, had a similar experience. We met on an LDS site. And it was kind of a little bit of a disaster in the beginning, but it was, um, she had uh, gone through a process where she, for seven and a half years, took care of a, a husband that had Parkinson's and dementia. Wow. Uh, her husband passed away um, a year ago in November. Um, in addition to that, she lost her mom about four months ago, which made really difficult. But she has been a, uh, a wonderful support to me. Um, it's been, um, I, I, I've I've asked people if they've they've ever been lonely before, and and I'm not talking about just getting in the car and driving by yourself to your job or whatever. But if you've never experienced being lonely uh, and and alone, um, the the time that you have while you're by yourself, even though people are telling you to keep your your schedule busy, um, is 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 really a difficult time. And so the people that have, have had gone through those experiences have been actually more helpful than, than the therapy and the, the, I mean, I've listened to a lot of blogs. I've listened to a lot of things that way, but the people that have been the, the most help to me is been people like my sister who has lost a child and um, her, her <laughs> my fiance's name is Novi. And she's been a great help because she's gone through some of the stuff that uh, that I have gone through. And we 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 went from a, a period of time where it was just a a friendship and support for each other to asking each other what if, and it's kind of blossomed as a result of that. And I've realized that I maybe maybe really very soon for for my kids, and uh, they you know they they've understood that. But I'm I'm the type of person that doesn't want to be alone. Marcia and I had conversations that, you know, she said, oh, if I ever pass away, I'll never be married again. And but she says, I really want you to be. And I said, why? <laughs> but uh, so I had some intimate con- conversations with Marcia about that thing, too. But um, I'm excited about the possibilities of not having to be a- alone. And I, I attribute a lot of that to Marcia because um, she made it worthwhile for me to want to not be alone. 
and not be by myself. That's that's a hard thing for me. And uh, but uh, that's where I've gotten a lot of a lot of support is from this wonderful lady that's in my life. Well, and, and you uh, know the beautiful thing too, Gary, is that you guys both will honor your spouses for the lives that you had with them and be able to build a life from from this point on with each other, but still in honoring of Marsha and her spouse that she took care of. And that's where we are very fortunate that way because um, she has told me that she has an eternal spouse. Um, I have an eternal spouse. And when we get married, we're really for for time only we were, we actually wanted to be married in the temple for time but they don't do that anymore it's been two years since they've done that and found that out but novi is uh, has been a temple worker with her husband joined the church with um she became a convert with her husband and and she's told i've seen her say this many times that, that one of her most prized possessions is her temple recommend and uh, I'm glad to, to to have that. I, it's just it, for me. It's nice to have somebody in my hand and on my arm to be able to to go through this next phase. And even though we recognize it's probably only going to be for for time, um, we've got a good understanding of 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 companionship and 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 the like. And and I'm I'm going to tell you again that the the biggest support that I've had has been from people in the ward um that have that have kind of helped me to to understand some things to understand the the grief process um i've I've been guided by some particular words that have that uh, i mean therese writing uh, gave me this word of advice she says grief never diminishes what we've got to do is we've got to make the process around that grief become expand it to be able to make it larger and that that grief process when, when you go through it does never get smaller you've got to create something around it so that you have those those times between seven and ten o'clock at night where you're just you go in the fetal position and oh my gosh it's just it's just horrible times when when, when you're when you're alone and um, but she, when she gave me that advice that I have, I have thought about that every single day is, is how do we make that process bigger so that we're not focused on the grief because the grief never goes away. It's not a, it's not a finish line. You don't go through it and say, whew, I'm sure glad that's over with. Um, but that those guiding words have been, for me is to surround myself and try to do that with family. Um, sometimes it's food. It's a sense of humor to find, you know, the, the, the humor in, in things it's time. There's lots of things that are part of the, of the process that you've got to encompass to make that larger so that the grief doesn't, doesn't overwhelm you because it, it can, it can really, really can affect you and take some damage on you when you're, when you're doing nothing, but in the fetal position, thinking about your grief. Yeah. What advice would you give um, individuals that are going through what you and Marsha went through in the last couple of years and her passing? Like what, what are some words of wisdom that you could share? Um, there was, uh, there was some, some, some nice moments through it all. I would get her up and we'd turn the um alexa on you know and, and play some songs and i'd get up and dance with her <laughs> she heard me so <laughs> oh hold on alexa stop <laughs> oh my gosh uh, she, yeah she heard me start playing music but but yeah i, I would get marcia up and and dance with her and um and still try to prepare meals and 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 just tried to make it just as fun as we possibly could as far as a personal note the mistake that i honestly made beth was 
trying to put on uh, a face that was not real. I was trying to go through the periods of time, trying to be the strong person. That's been my my purpose in life all my life, you know, with my kids and with Marsha was, you know, having a purpose and something to look forward to and those types of things. And when those things were beginning to be taken away, I tried to stand as tall as I possibly could. And it was kind of a facade. It was fake because I was um, trying to be better than I really was. I wanted to be strong for my family. I wanted to be strong for the people that were around me. And I wanted to put on a, 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 a better show than what, but uh, deep down, um, I was I was dying for a while. And if I wasn't taking advantage of some of the advice that I got, it was just stubbornness on my part. But, oh my gosh, there's been so many people that have been so supportive. And, and the little things that they have said have just been things that I've been able to grab a hold of and just hold on to. Um and help me through this process. I'm so grateful for the for the people in my life that have that have done that. Um, they've been been supportive. They've been understanding. Um, I I could tell you more and more names of people that have given me advice that has that has helped me. And it's just, I if I was to say anything, is the thing that would be the help would be to to try and keep yourself busy and and occupied. But not to the point where you're overwhelmed, where you don't do anything, because that's even worse. It's, you know, they, they tell you to keep your your schedule full, to, to, to you know, to do things and make sure that the, the process gets larger with, with those types of things. But I found myself in a position where I was actually trying to do too much and trying to put on the wrong show. And that wasn't good. It wasn't good for my family. It wasn't good for my kids. It wasn't good for me. And uh, I made some mistakes through through that process. I'm, I'm just so you know, I'm not a perfect guy, Beth. I'm just, I just make a lot of mistakes. So, and I'm still trying to learn. So, we all are. <laughs> yes, we are. Well, Gary, I want to ask you my last question. Okay. Um, I want to know how in your life. Do you personally seek light? So what are some things that you do that provide light in your life? I think that's really a good question. Um, I have heard in life that, um, you know, when, and you've probably heard the same things from people is that when they've had a, a tragedy in their life, that it shaped their life to a point where they became closer to Heavenly Father. And I would, I would listen to that, Beth, and I'd think, I think you'd lie about other things too. I mean, I, I, I really did. I, I, I couldn't imagine that people would go through horrible, horrible situations and then, and, and then get up and, and say to people, oh, I just, I just feel so much closer to the Lord because of it. I got to tell you that that is not a false statement. Um, that really does happen. And some of it has been just by way of blessings to me to be able to understand that. Um, I think I was kind of the, the, the glad recipient of, of a loving heavenly father that probably loves me more than anybody. And that's probably bad news for everybody that's hearing this because Heavenly Father loves me more than he loves you. And he loves me more than he loves you, Beth. But uh, I think that I have become more aware of the blessings that are have been mine because of it. I absolutely feel that Heavenly Father has put his arms around Marcia and taken her into his arms and has a purpose for her to be there. But I also feel in a, a absolutely positive and can bear my testimony that he's done the same thing to me. He has put his arms around me and held me and let me know that he's there. And 
it probably wasn't something I was even actually seeking to try and find out the truth of that statement that, you know, that takes a tragedy for you to understand. But I've been there. I've been the recipient of, of that very blessing. I'm trying so hard to be able to be a worthy servant of the blessings that I'm getting. I'm trying really, really hard. I've got a church calling that I didn't even didn't even know what even it was all about being a study school president. I thought it was a hall monitor. And now I'm finding out that I'm the one that's supposed to come up with different programs to help the, the teacher development and be able to do teaching in the savior's way and, and trying to be able to be an, an, an assist uh, mechanism for for people that are teaching and it, it, that's kind of hard too because we got great teachers in this ward and uh, to be able to find that I have something to offer is wow and I'm just doing everything I can do right now to be able to to try and magnify my calling uh, I haven't been a very good job being a dad lately though Beth I really haven't my kids are not on board with very much of the things that are going on, but um, um, to it all, I'm really thankful for them. And I'm thankful for this lady that has come into my life too. So um, I'm trying to find where the light exists, I guess. And uh, even though I haven't made a conscious effort to be able to, to look for it, I've been the recipient of it. And I'm, I'm very grateful that I have been. Um, I do feel very close to Heavenly Father right now. I really do. Um, well, I have a, a theory. I listened once to a woman that had lost her child and she said, it's like he puts an IV drip into you of his divine light and love during tragic things, during hard times to sustain you. And I feel like you know, you, you, you are feeling his tremendous love for you. And I feel like there's a special closeness, especially, you know, close to the time of Marcia's passing and, and you trying to heal from the, through this process. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that because that is exactly how I feel. I, I don't know that I've got a, I don't know, think I've got a small drip. I think I got a, fire hose <laughs> fire something <laughs> in my veins i don't even know how to handle that sometimes but i i really appreciate that that remark <laughs> i do feel that <laughs> yeah well gary thank you so much for coming on and and sharing with all of us how you and marcia sought light together and how you have tried to seek light through her her leaving this earth at this time so thank you so much well, Beth, thank you for the opportunity. I hope that I brought something to, that somebody will benefit from. I mean, my gosh, they could always reach out to me. I, I don't have the answers for anything, but you know, sometimes in the grief process, if somebody's going through it, sometimes people just want to be able to know that somebody recognizes that. Nice and if that. I could do that in any way, I'd be glad to. I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.